2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and if you're using the Bibles in the backs of the church, it's page 1189. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled and to us as well. This will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might on the day when he comes to be glorified in his holy people and to be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thanks, Chris. Let's just pray, shall we, before we start? Holy Spirit, please help us now. Help us to understand your word as we learn how to live waiting for the Lord Jesus to return. Amen. Well, there we are. I was watching Bake Off last week, and I gather... It's Caramel Week. It was Caramel Week, which um, this is supposed to be a gif or something that moves up and down, but it's not doing that, is it? But there we are. Um, and I was just amazed how complicated the stuff was uh, that they were making uh, and how many ingredients went in to, just move this a bit, uh, went into this caramelly stuff uh, that they were making. Well, this opening chapter of Thessalonians is not simple either. It's pretty complicated. Um, but tonight we're going to focus on just three ingredients within that chapter. Three ingredients that it, that it focuses on. Things that we should expect to see in our Christian life. So if you're a Christian here tonight, it's stuff that you will be encountering. Uh, if you're not, well, this is your kind of advert or warning uh, for what uh, you might be letting yourself in for. And those three ingredients are growth, gr growth, gro growth, grief, and glory. 
growth, grief, and glory. And the question for all of us tonight really is, are we seeing those in our own lives? That's what I want us to keep circling back on. Are we seeing growth, grief, and glory in our own lives? Because Paul certainly expects them to be there. As we work through this chapter, you'll see that is what he's expecting to see in the church and in us. And you can see that straight away, verse 3, if you've got your Bibles open. Well, even if you haven't, it's in verse 3. 1189 was the page reference, if you want to look it up again. Verse 3, Paul says, he thanks God because your faith is growing more and more, and the love you have for one another is increasing. And the, um, the words that he uses for growing, um, he, he uses the hyper word, you know, like the Chinese hypersonic missile that goes so fast nobody can, can do anything about it anymore. It is so off the scale in its, in its speed. And, and that's the word that Paul uses here. There's this hyper growth uh, going on in these folks' uh, faith and love. It's off the scale. Now, that's quite interesting, just if we stop there, isn't it? Because if we were to say, well, what would we thank God for in this church or in the church? We tend to go to numbers, don't we? I mean, I I used to be an accountant. I'm not anymore. It's wonderful, but I used to be. And, you know, numbers were what it was all about. Are numbers going up? It's great. Is the money going up? That's great. But that's not the measure here, is it? It's not Paul's measure of what growth should be around. And if you look at what a lot of Christian literature says, it will talk to you about the quality of your your spirituality or how involved you are in in, in social issues or or even in evangelism. Paul doesn't mention any of those, does he? It's simply hypersonic growth in faith and love for each other. Now, that's not to say that, that, that actions don't flow from that. Um, verse 11, can you see? He prays about your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. But the deeds are the core cart and not the horse. Okay, And we don't put the cart before the horse. What Paul is focuses on here is our growth in faith and love. And the deeds will follow on. You know, it's very easy to go away from a sermon, thinking, oh, I've got to try harder and do this, I've got to do this, I've got to do something else, because I've been told to do it. But this isn't a sermon about doing stuff, is it? This is a sermon about growth. And Paul thanks God simply because your or our faith and our love is growing. So... Here's your sort of uh, first reflection question for the evening. Is it? We think about our own lives over the last week or month or whatever. Can we say, yes, our faith has been growing? Because when we become a Christian, we often talk about a step of faith or something like that. And, and, and you enter this new faith. But it doesn't stop there, does it? The Holy Spirit is at work in Christian li- in a Christian's lives. We would expect to see change. We expect to see uh, his gifts working out in our lives. We expect to see uh, the fruit of the Spirit uh, working out. 
So is that our experience? Are we trusting more than we were, say, a year ago? Can you rejoice in that as you look back? Or is it a cause of a bit of a challenge? Is it the mallet? Saying, hmm, not sure. And if that's you, and I guess a lot of us might feel like that, it leads on to the question, well, well, how do we grow? What does it take to grow in faith and love? I mean, I would guess that a lot of us are still embarrassed by going back to our parents' house or uh, whether we live with them still or not, and somewhere there is a chart with little pencil marks marking how you have grown over the years. And not much happens at first, and then it shoots up, and sooner or later someone says, oh, he's taller than his dad, or something like that. And we're all interested in growth. But that's easy, isn't it? Most of us don't have a problem growing. If you eat enough donuts, you'll grow. That is probably not a sound health tip, but you get the idea. But how do we grow as Christians? Where is this growth in faith and love going to come from? Well, there are two clues here. One we're just going to mention Uh, Verse 8, he talks about Christians who are people who obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So there's something there about obedience and growth uh, going together. But I want to pick up another sort of clue here about how we grow. And that is that it is simply the answer to prayer. And that's all there is to it. That's why verse 3, can you see Paul says he's giving thanks And he's giving thanks because in his first letter, as Stephen said, this is his second letter, in his first letter, in two chapters, he has prayed that these guys will grow in faith and love. So now he's saying, thank you, God, that you've answered that prayer. Because we've prayed for growth. And that is a prayer that we know will always be answered by God, won't it? That is close to the Lord's heart that we should grow to be more like him and grow in faith. So, if you want a really simple piece, a sermon application, that is it. Pray, Lord, help my faith to grow. Stephen just told you it would take seven minutes to read Thessalonians. That's quite a long time. Saying, Lord, help my faith to grow, is only three seconds. So that's all we need to do. Three seconds a day for next week. Lord, help my faith to grow. So, that's our first ingredient. Growth in our Christian life. And if you do pray for three seconds a day for growth, I think the chances are you're going to meet the next ingredient. And that is grief. I'm kind of using grief as a shorthand or an emoji or something for for all the phrases uh, that Paul uses here. Uh, Look at verse 4. He talks about persecutions and trials. Uh, And then verse 5, he talks about suffering. Uh, And verse 6, 7, he talks about trouble several times, doesn't he? The point is that if we're living out our Christian life, wherever we are, with other people, then this sort of stuff is going to come our way. And it's going to come from people we meet. He's not talking, Paul, here about the day-to-day trials of life. You know, the, my bad back or the noisy neighbours or the exam I've just messed up or whatever that sort of stuff is. This is people getting at us because we're Christians. 
You can see that. Look at verse 5. It makes it clear. These folk were suffering for the sake of the kingdom of God. Verse 10, you get, again, that focus on those who have believed. So this is bad stuff coming our way because we're Christians. So, second question. Not, has there been growth in my life this week, this month? But has there been grief in my life this week, this month? Bit of an embarrassing question, isn't it? I look back on the last week or so and I thought, mm, I can remember on one occasion being mildly embarrassed by trying to talk about the Lord. But it was hardly enduring persecutions and trials, is it? And I suspect most of us would probably have a similar experience. You know, really, we should be issuing our welcome team with first aid kits. And as you come in on a Sunday, they should be bandaging us up and, and repairing all the damage and all the blows that we've had during the year as we've had a week, another week of being beaten up for Jesus. And that's why, if you look in verse 5, you see Paul says that these things are evidence that God's judgment is right and that as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. Paul isn't saying there, you've really got to be beaten up. You know, you've really got to suffer if you want to go to heaven. What he's saying is, that is the inevitable reaction. If we're living out our Christian lives with the folk we know and meet, people are going to have a go at us. They killed Jesus and they'll want to have a go at us because Jesus is in us. So that's the theory, isn't it? Why don't they? Because actually not many of us have been beaten up this week. Not many of us have risked it. We walk through the doors without a scratch, don't we? And I guess there's all sorts of reasons. But just one that came to me as I was reading through this stuff is, I think probably we're scared because we, don't, we know we don't measure up. We know our own lives kind of fall short. And so it's so easy to be accused of being a hypocrite. It's so easy for someone to have us go at us because we know that we're just not good enough. Well, that came home to me recently this week. I was reading Philip Yancey's. He's got a number of short biographies. Uh, and one of the people he writes about is Martin Luther King. Now, I know nothing about Martin Luther King, really, apart from this. And um, I don't comment on his theology or anything else. But I mean, he achieved a huge amount. And yet his personal life was utterly torrid. I mean, he was, he was sleeping with other women while he was on tour preaching I mean, it was, it was an extraordinary bad behavior. And yet, and yet God still used him, didn't he? God used him powerfully, despite being beaten up and, of course, in the end, being killed. He was used by God. And you could reference all sorts of folk in the Bible, David, Moses, Peter, who were failures in so many ways, but still stuck their net out, neck out for the Lord. So I'm not saying it, it doesn't matter how we behave, but what I am saying is that if that's holding us back, that's the devil's voice. That's not the Lord's. The Lord just says, just go out there, risk it. We need to risk getting a bit of grief. We had a, a heated discussion as a family a little while ago about the metaverse. 
Can hands up anybody who knows what the metaverse is and can explain it? Excellent. Right. Two people here, oh, three, can explain the metaverse. So form a queue afterwards. But it's, you know, it's all stuff out there on the, on the Ilfracoom, on the internet, rather. That's a counter-arthur strong joke. But the point is that when we're living out there with social media text in the metaverse, our witness should be just the same. It's not a different world. You know, one of our mission partners is great at leaving prayers for us on the phone. Some of you know who that is. But using the phone just to leave prayers. We can do just the same with social media, text, WhatsApp, or whatever. And expect to get grief back. Expect to get nasty comments back. Paul is saying, if our faith is growing, if our love is growing, then this is going to happen. Expect growth and expect grief. And if that last bit is a bit scary, well, Paul also puts in here two encouragements. It's uh, Stephen's red thing. I don't know what that was, but whatever it was, the red thing. Now, and one we've already mentioned, and in verse 5, uh, Paul says, if you're on the receiving end of this treatment, it's a sign that you're getting it right. People are seeing Jesus in you, and they don't like it. One of the many sports I'm no good at is tennis. But I have noticed that on the rare occasions I get the ball over the net in a reasonably straight line at a reasonable speed, it comes back jolly hard. And it seems to me the harder I serve, the harder the ball comes back. So maybe I should give up. But a hard return seems to be a sign of a good serve. Having a hard time is probably an encouraging sign that we're out there living for the Lord. But the other encouragement I want to pick up on here is this glimpse Paul gives us, not of that, we'll go to there, you get the link, uh, of God's glory. So we have growth, grief, and glory. Verse 12, Paul prays that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. That's a really sort of deep and complicated stuff, isn't it? John Stott says this is the whole point of our existence. He says we are wonderful, luminous beings in God's eyes. We are full of his glory and we bring glory to him. So whatever we think of ourselves, God sees us as glorious. The, um, the author of The Hungry Caterpillar, I think he died this week, didn't he? And of course the whole point of that story is that that miserable little caterpillar turns into this wonderful butterfly. But you know, God isn't interested in those first pages of that book. All he sees is the glorious creature at the end. We are glorious now in God's eyes, but also... Paul says there's a future glory to look forward to. He wants us to to lift our eyes when times are tough, when we're finding it difficult, and say, yes, there is something really good to look forward to. And we do that naturally all the time, don't we? We, 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 We look forward to Christmas. We've been talking about that already. There's all sorts of things that help us get through the winter term or whatever. Well, Paul says on a bigger scale, look forward Because the tough times will end. Verse 6, he says, God is just. He will pay back trouble with trouble. He will give us relief 
and rest. And um, verses 7 to 10, I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on there, but the main point is that Jesus will return and then we will see him for who he is. Uh, and that's why we've got references of, of Jesus being revealed from heaven and, and the blazing fire of his holiness and the angels and the glory of his might. That's verse 9, isn't it? And verse 10, we're going to marvel at him and his glory. It's a whole picture of this glorious return of the Lord Jesus. And that is there as a great encouragement to keep us going when times are difficult. And and just as a warning, can you see that not everybody is going to react like that? Not everybody is going to be pleased at the Lord Jesus' return. Those who don't, verse 9 says, will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord. That's an uncomfortable message. Some churches kind of duck that altogether, but it's there. We can't tuck it. And I wonder whether one reason we don't like that message, we find that difficult and harsh, goes back to that earlier comment that we don't put ourselves out enough to really experience people's hatred of Jesus. I wonder if we did more, we would see how much people do hate God. Psalm 5 says, You are not a God who is pleased with wickedness. With you, evil people are not welcome, but I, by your great love, can come into your house. You know, there's a glorious future waiting for everyone who chooses to put their trust in Jesus. Now, at this point, my sermon is scribbled all over, and I didn't know what to say, because we've got uh, pray for growth, we've got prepare for grief, but I couldn't think of a puh for whatever subject we're on now. I've lost it completely. Glory. I couldn't think of a puh for glory. The best thing I could think of was having seen the children on holiday last week uh, paddling around in the sea that perhaps we could paddle in glory. So if that helps you remember it, we'll paddle in glory. So something that just gets that idea to go away with of how much we should just be enjoying and reveling and looking forward to glory. It should be like a dog rolling around in the dirt in the park, uh, just so, so excited. So, do I see growth in my life? Do I see grief in my life? And am I paddling in glory? Am I looking forward to that glory? I'm going to cheat because there's one other ingredient which is kind of like a little bit of a sprinkly, really, um, but it's an important one, and that's grace. You know, we may need to work at obedience, and we may need to work at growing in love, uh, and we may need to do stuff uh, and experience grief, but Paul starts and finishes this little passage with grace. Can you see that? First one, he prays that they will know God's grace and peace. Verse 12, he's back to it. He prays that God will work according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is wrapping this all up, saying all our efforts, all our obedience, all this growth, all this faith, all the glory, all the stuff he's talking about only comes through God's gift, through his grace. 
we are beautiful butterflies not because we've eaten a huge amount and nibbled our way out of our chrysalis. We are beautiful butterflies by God's grace. It's grace, it's the sugar in the caramel that makes the whole thing work. And in God's grace, we are to continue to live as people waiting for Jesus to return. And that means living lives not full of donuts or caramel desserts, but of growth, grief, and glory. So pray for growth, prepare for grief, and yes, paddle in glory. Let me pray. Father, we just pray that as we, uh, as we look at this passage, you will help us to be worthy of your calling. That by your power, you will bring to fruition every desire for goodness and our every deed prompted by faith. And we pray that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified in us and that we will glorify you according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.